then a confession then without belief is merely words without power. There's no healing, no salvation that takes place. And as I said, there are many who have confessed Christ, but they have not truly believed in their heart. And to do that, it's empty words. And likewise, belief without confession is like having faith without a living testimony of the power of God to change life. It's with a heart one believes unto salvation and our faith in Jesus, it causes us to live changed or transformed lives. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're looking at Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 13. The message entitled, Whoever Calls Upon Jesus. I broke it into three parts. Verses 1 through 4, the righteousness of God. In verses 5 through 8, the word of faith. In verses 9 through 13, that there is no shame for those who confess and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that salvation is available to all those who call upon the name of Jesus in life-saving faith. He also realized that for someone to confess the name of Jesus, the gospel first needs to be proclaimed. Also, I've mentioned as we go back to chapter 9, all the way through chapter 11, that God's sovereignty is at play in these three chapters. In God's dealing with the nation of Israel, and in their restoration, God, he said, I will circumcise your hearts that you would love me and serve me with all your heart and with all your soul. And so Deuteronomy 30 tells of Israel's future disobedience and also the restoration by God and the work that God was going to do in their hearts. See, Israel was accustomed to the circumcision of the flesh, but God spoke about a circumcision of the heart that was necessary. At that point, they would obey his voice. They would keep his commandments. They would obey his statutes. And their love for God was connected then to the obedience of their word. Their love and their obedience to God, though, it was beyond their, their reach as far as in the physical realm. It was a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith for us as well. In John 6, 28 and 29, it tells us, Then they said to Jesus, What shall we do that we shall do the works of God? So the Jews, asking Jesus in his day, what do we do that we do the works of God? And Jesus answered, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. 
It's a matter of faith. It's a matter of faith in Jesus Christ. But there in Deuteronomy 11 through 14, from where Paul pulls this quote that's found in verses 6 through 8, Moses is speaking about the heaven and the sea, where Paul talked about heaven and the abyss. But he did this to show that God's commandment is not beyond our reach. We don't have to climb into the highest of heavens. We don't have to descend into the depths of the sea. But God's word is near us. It's in our mouth. It's in our hearts. This is where Paul pulled this quote from Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 through 14. Moses wrote, for this is the commandment which I command you today. It's not too mysterious for you, nor is it too far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us to bring it to us that we may hear and do? Nor is it in the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart that you may do it. You know, if we were to attempt to or to send someone in advance uh, into the heavens, Paul said in commentary, you found it in parentheses in, in Romans chapter 10, that if we were to ascend into the heaven, that would be bringing Christ down from his divine position. And likewise, if we were to descend into the deepest part of the abyss, that would be bringing Christ up. You know, we cannot do the work that Christ has already done for us. It's Jesus who has already come down from heaven. We call this his incarnation. That word incarnation is a compound Latin word. It means in flesh. The incarnation refers to the uniqueness of Jesus, who is both fully God and fully man. The Bible tells us in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as if the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And likewise, to ascend into the abyss, well, Jesus has already done this for us as well. We call this his resurrection. It's through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that Jesus Christ has paid the price of our sins. And he has proved that he has power over the grave. And Jesus, as he said to Martha in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now, Friday morning when I woke up, I was thinking about this passage and I hadn't put this into my notes as of yet. But as we close out in verse 8, Paul mentions, and the phrase is found here, the word of faith. And we find in the uh, 20th century that there have been a movement all the way into the 21st century in the church called the word of faith movement. So I just wanted to do a little clarification here. Here's a little history of that word of faith movement. The word of faith movement grew out of the Pentecostal movement of the late 20th century. Its founder was E.W. Kenyon, who studied in the metaphysics, new thought teachings of Phineas Quimby. It was mind science. I'm reading this for you. Mind science uh, that's been known to call name it, claim it. 
and it was combined in Pentecostalism, resulting in a particular mix of Orthodox Christianity and mysticism. Kenneth Hagen, in turn, studied under E.W. Kenyon and made the Word of Faith movement uh, what it is today. And although individuals' teachings range from complete heresy to completely ridiculous, it follows this basic theology most Word of Faith teachers align themselves with, and that is that at the heart of this movement is the belief of force of faith. It is the believing words can be used to man manipulate the faith force, thus actually creating what Scripture has promised, this health and wealth as we know of. Laws that govern the faith force are said to operate independently of God's sovereignty, that God himself is subject to these laws, and this is nothing short of idolatry, turning our faith, by extension, ourselves into little gods, that we can actually manipulate and, and control God if we have this faith force, this word of faith. But notice with me, and we don't have to go deep into this to understand, Paul said, the word of faith which we preach, the word of faith that Paul was referring to was not the name it claim it movement it was the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ Peter also said in 1 Peter 1 25 that the word of the Lord endures forever now this is the word by which the gospel was preached to you the word of faith that which we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ which we confess and believe and next week we'll learn that for some to confess and believe, God's word must first be proclaimed. And we'll see it next week in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But here in the second point, the word of faith, we discover that the word of faith is both confessing and believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus Christ. And finally, verses 9 through 13 that of confessing and believing. Again, I'll read the context. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For as Scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord... Over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Paul is not giving us a formula of faith that must be followed in precise order. Such as, in order to be saved, one must first confess and then believe. In fact, I would often say that faith comes first and the confession comes later. He is simply saying that both the confession and belief are part of the process of our salvation. And as I thought about this, there are no, no doubt those who have confessed Jesus, then at some point later on, they truly believed in Jesus. And the reverse can be true as well. No doubt there are some who have believed in Jesus, but they have never confessed their faith in Jesus to others. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Homo logeo is the uh, Greek word. I put it in your notes for you. And it means to agree with or to speak the same language. 
And so this is really talking about a joint confession, a confession of faith that all believers must confess. We all must believe and confess the very same thing, that Jesus died, that he was buried, that he rose again from the grave, and that faith in Jesus Christ and the work of Jesus Christ brings salvation. Now, we can stretch that out with a lot more detail, but it is that uh, confession that we confess the same thing, faith in Jesus Christ. We must confess with our mouth. It's to agree with the confession of faith that everyone in the true church has confessed at one point or another. What are we to confess? That Jesus is Lord. In Matthew 10, 32 and 33, it says, Whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny them before my Father who is in heaven. And it's through Jesus' death, burial, his resurrection, his ascension into heaven. He has done everything necessary for our redemption. All we need to do is confess and believe, or believe and confess, whatever order you want to put that in. If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, if you believe, pistuo is the Greek word. Once again, I gave it to you in the notes. But it means to have faith, uh, pistuo, to believe, to be persuaded of, to place our confidence or our trust in. And we discover that in our culture today, it continues to drift further and further away from God's word. And even as believers today, we find that we continue to get bombarded by evolutionary thinking. It happens from grade school into high school, into our colleges and our universities, from all the various forms of media that we consume today. We find that belief in God is declining in our nation. And yet it's through faith. If you believe in your heart, pistuo, to have faith, to be persuaded of, to place our confidence in, our trust in. If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, the Bible tells us we will be saved. 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God, the confession. Then a confession then without belief is merely words without power. There's no healing, no salvation that takes place. And as I said, there are many who have confessed Christ, but they have not truly believed in their heart. And to do that, it's empty words. And likewise, belief without confession is like having faith without a living testimony of the power of God to change life. It's with the heart one believes unto salvation and our faith in Jesus, it causes us to live changed or transformed lives. He says, whosoever calls, verses 11 through 13, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes on him, he's quoting from Isaiah 28, 16. It teaches about God becoming a sanctuary to those who hollow and fear the Lord. On the other hand, those who reject God, 
the Lord then becomes a stumbling stone. Isaiah 28, 16, the whole passage says this, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a, a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. Paul wrote it this way, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And whether Jew or Gentile, we have all been appointed to obey the word of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Yet for those who reject Jesus, Jesus then becomes this stone of stumbling, a rock of offense to them, as we learned last week as well, as Paul quoted from these passages. In 1 Peter 2.6, we read this last week, saying, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, he who believes on him shall not be put to shame. This chief cornerstone. As a brick mason, I, I've thought about this and kind of tied it to the job sites that I had worked on in times past. As a tile setter, yesterday, I spent my day setting tile down in the basement. And after we spent the week preparing for the tile to be set, painting the walls, because why lay tile and then paint? Because you don't want to get new paint on your new tile, right? We did all the prep work necessary, and once all that was done, I had to sit down and try to figure out a square room to lay my tile. And I discovered that our walls in the basement are not square whatsoever. <laughs> and so the boys are, I think they were having, they were learning how to use a chalk line very well yesterday because I kept re-chalking and I was chalking, all right, let's swing it this way. I was just trying to figure out, and finally I said, I'm just gonna hit in the middle and just go for it and hopefully it works because the walls were not true. Now, in the Old Testament, when they talk about, and even in the New Testament, this was the same thing, this chief cornerstone, it was a precisely carved stone that was set at the corner of a building from which the remainder of the building was built and squared. Dimensions were pulled from the stone. It was a point of truth for the whole building. And uh, yesterday, I'm for the tile, to be honest with you, God was gracious. It's like, oh, it worked. <laughs> and there was some of that. It's like, oh, it worked out. I wasn't even thinking about that. But we need that point of truth. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He who believes on him shall by no means be put to shame. And Jesus becoming this living stone who was first rejected by the builders, Israel, but has become that chief cornerstone to all who confess and believe, or believe and confess, whether Jew or Gentile. He becomes that chief cornerstone upon which we can build our lives. And we can, you know, keep checking. When in construction, when I was a, a foreman for the bricklayers, we'd often have to check that point of truth. You're building a, a school, let's say, and... Uh, you have to keep checking to make sure that once you get into a new area, a new wing of a school, you have to still go back to the original source, make sure that, you know, you're building it according to the blueprint, according to the plans. It didn't always work because 
you know, you had different trades coming in and everybody having a, a different point of truth. There was one particular job where I had to tell the concrete workers every time they would show up to pour some concrete, I'd have to go find them and say, there's your point of truth. Pull it from there. Because I was tired of trying to fix their, their work. They were, I don't know, they'd walk on the job and it was a new foreman, a different guy, different crew. And it's like, I guess we do it from here. And it's like, your other guys did it from there. They made it very hard for me. I had to find a point of truth for that building. Jesus Christ becomes that point of truth. We live in a world today where we have a lot of different people giving different opinions about God. Some are saying, I guess we find faith over here. This is the way we should walk. Others are saying, this is the path we should go on. But the Lord Jesus Christ has already given us the path. All we need to do is to adhere to the truth that's found in the word of God. He says, there is no shame for those who put their trust in God's only son, Jesus Christ. There's no distinction, verse 12, between Jew or Greek. For the same Lord is rich over all who call upon him. There's no distinction. This Greek word, diastole is the Greek word. It means to have a clear or marked distinction. It could be described as having a notch in the belt. We could say that uh, you could have a variety of trees here on the church grounds. And we could say to someone after church, I want you to go out to the oak tree and to find that uh, note, that clue that I left for family camp. I saw one this week on that oak tree. And we would say, you know, there's a lot of oak trees on the church property. Which one are you talking about? Oh, the one that's got the mark on it. The clear distinction. A big nail driven in, in it. No more hints. Anyways. <laughs> but a clear mark. There's a distinction. And that's what this Greek word diastole means. A notch in the belt, we could say. And Paul used this word to show that as far as faith was concerned, there was no difference between Jew or Gentile. Jesus is the same Lord over everyone who believes in him. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, Paul said that there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all. Therefore, verse 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 13, coming from Joel 2.32, it says, And it shall come to pass, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. And what a great promise the Lord has given to us that has been extended to whosoever, the King James would say. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord no matter what race you might be, whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. And the question for us, have you believed? Have you confessed in Jesus? For those who do so, we discover that there is no shame to those who confess and believe in Jesus. Today we've discovered whoever calls upon Jesus in Romans 10, 1 through 13 Although righteousness through faith in Jesus is a stumbling stone, a rock of offense to many, 
Paul, his desire for his people would be that they would be saved. He understood that salvation then is available to whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus. And we discovered in verses 1 through 4, the righteousness of God comes by way of faith through Jesus Christ. In verses 5 through 8, we discovered that the word of faith is confessing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, confessing and believing in the gospel, believing in Jesus Christ. In verses 9 through 13, that there is no shame for those who confess and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Father, thank you so much for your word and the truth that it has taught us today. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with us now, Lord, as we just wait upon you in this last song. Father, I pray that we would be a people who have both confessed and believed, or believed and confessed. I'm not worried about the order of those two words, Lord. What I am concerned with, Lord, is that for each of us to have come to that realization of the need of belief alongside confession. And so, Father, as we wait upon you now in this last song, work in our hearts, work in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today.